the 12 days of Christmas are over. Yesterday was uh, Epiphany in the church calendar. Now, have you ever had a moment of Epiphany? You've heard, you've heard that term before where all of a sudden you're like, something just all of a sudden makes sense that didn't make sense before. Well, Epiphany historically has been that time of, or the day in the church where it was the revelation of Jesus. It was the, like, bringing about this eye-opening moment where he now makes sense. There's a couple other things that came with that. But what we've kind of designed these last few weeks and this uh, month to kind of work together in some ways. Where Advent is about the longing, and it feels like Advent so long ago, right? It feels like, oh my gosh, Christmas was forever, but it wasn't that far. And then the 12 days are, is this bridge of us now reflecting, and we're going to kick this year off by doing what Epiphany calls us to do, and that's to, to look to the revelation of Jesus and what he really is like. And so there's this pattern of looking back and then looking ahead that's found in scripture. And it's really found in this section of Hebrews. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, this author, who we don't know, starts calling about this, these witnesses. He calls them a great cloud of witnesses. All the people that have gone before them in the faith that have done great things. So he talks about Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, among other people. And he's reminding them of God's faithfulness to those people. That's what we wanted the 12 days to be. A little bit of, hey, there's a story about this guy named John Wycliffe that you may have not heard about, but we wouldn't have had the English Bible without him. So praise God that God used him to bring that about. We're so thankful for that. And it's to look back so that we can then look ahead. And so this is what the author says. It's really going to ground us over the next month. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking back, looking ahead. And then verse 2, looking to Jesus, the, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it say there? Looking to Jesus. In a lot of other translations, it says Fix, fixing your eyes upon him. And so what we're doing is we're calling this series Fix Your Eyes. And we're starting it today and starting to look at what is it that God has revealed about himself that is so intentional, so true, that's so universal, and that's going to ground you and us as a family moving forward in this next year. And so one of the characteristics that we're going to look at today is one of the most important parts of the character of God. Without this, we go from a loving father that we just sang about to an all-powerful tyrant. You take out this character trait of God, he becomes a powerful topic. And it's bound up in one Hebrew word. This word can be translated as beautiful, pleasant, 
beneficial, desirable, agreeable, or functional, life-giving. And you've probably heard this term in the uh, Yiddish expression, mazel tov. You ever, heard, you ever heard that term before? And usually you hear that and there's a breaking of glass somewhere, right? It's the word tov. So I want you to say the word tov. Not tav, not tav, like us Americans like to add. Oh, tov. And so this is the expression of good. So today we're looking at God as good. The goodness of God. His goodness in his handiwork his goodness in what he provides and all of that sourced in him being good himself. So let's go back to Genesis chapter one. So if you have your Bible, flip open to Genesis chapter one. We've, we are very familiar with this story. As a story foreign people, we know that it's kind of the origins, the foundation God, in the beginning, there was nothing. The world was a void and with, uh, without form. And God created and started to order all the chaos. And at the beginning of each of these days, when he does this ordering and this creation, what does he declare is, about his created order? What is it? It's tov. It's tov. So verse 31, God looked at, saw everything that he made, all of his handiwork, all the things that he did, and he, behold, it was very tov. It was very tov. The works of God and what he goes about doing are good. What he decides and what he does not decide. Have you ever, like, maybe this is me because I'm crazy. Have you ever thought about what God would have done if he ordered the human body in a different way? Like, why, not, why only two legs? Why not more than that? Well, I don't know. He just did it. Right? Well, is that good or bad? Could we have designed the human body better than God did? Well, probably not. But because God is good, the way he chose to go about doing his handiwork, his design, his world creation is good in of itself. And it's important to remember that when we look at the work of God among us, we have the temptation to fix our eyes on something other than the tov of his handiwork. We can look at what he does and and start to play the comparison game. Well, God does it this way here. Why can't he do it that way among us? And what I want to do is we're going to take a moment to actually look back again and celebrate his handiwork among our church this past year. What are the things that, what are his handiwork? What are the 12 things that God has done among us in this past year? So a few things, and we're just going to have a list of them. Um, one of the things that to celebrate from this last year is we celebrated the most baptisms that we've ever had in a single year, which is awesome. Praise God. Wonderful. Like, so thankful for that. We have five missional communities that are living on mission in more healthy ways than they have previously, actively living out the mission of Jesus. Um, we had the, the B family, Brandon and Leanne, join us for a season. 
and, and build into us and continue to come and be with us during the Seek First. Uh, if we keep going. Uh, we started this elder development cohort. Uh, we had a few uh, people go through this in partnership with Soma Tacoma. Jeff Vanderstelt came and did some trainings for that. And so we've, we've been really intentional in developing next level elders and leaders. And you're going to hear more about that coming up. Uh, we have had continued church partnerships. Uh, we And there's lots of different things that we could talk about. We did an all-church prayer event uh, with Northwest and 12 other churches. We did the Desna Cup right out here. And I want to pause for a second before I keep going. As I share this, you're like, oh my goodness, I, forgot. I hope you start to think, I forgot about that. Like, oh, oh yeah, I didn't know we did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because it's so easy for us to forget. One of the most common things in the first five books of the Bible is the word remember. Why? Because we are forgetful. So let us remember the handiwork of God. Let us remember those things that he has done. Uh, We went about and did some men and women's renewal retreats. Uh, If you remember the journey to renewal that we kind of led through last a year and a half ago, uh, we did some retreats for the men and for the women in different months, uh, really seeking God and learning to hear his voice better. Uh, We launched our Seek First. I mean, as we've talked about this, it feels like we've been doing these for years, but it's only been in the last like eight months that we started a worship night where we're seeking God together. We're learning to listen to God's voice. We're learning to take extended time praying together. There was some different video and audio devotionals that we did. So we just talked about the 12 days of Christmas. But I also want to remind you of what we did during Holy Week. Um, those videos that lots of different people throughout the church caught up and taught and shared their heart leading up to Easter. Um, well, that was fantastic. We did men and women's meetups throughout the year, different uh, men's hangouts. We had a baseball game. We ladies got together. Just deepening the friendships across our missional communities was really the goal behind a lot of that. And so um, continue. we transitioned our kids deaconess. So Mo was doing a great job for a season. She went and started doing some other things. Darianne. Uh, was doing it as an interim, and she just keeps going, and she's doing a great job with it. And so we've transitioned that. Um, we celebrating the Wall MC, the partnership with the city for financial peace. An update, so over 20 people completed that. Remember, the city paid for that. They provided space and childcare. And because it went so well, this year now there's going to be nine, uh, four nine-week classes that are already scheduled, and there's three new churches that are participating. And it's, it's amazing to see that the city is funding not only helping people get more financially fit, but in the midst of that, there's a really clear proclamation of the gospel um, and financial mentoring among relationships. So that's really, really great to see. Um, we had an MC leader and elder retreat in August where we really laid out a lot of things that God was doing among us and really honest, deep, somewhat hard conversations even, and really binding what we're up to together, which was amazing to see. Was that in there? Oh, there we go. I thought that was just a long paragraph. I had it in my notes, too. I was like, where's that? But I guess I'll get to that. Yeah, so we hosted a, a mini Soma school. We had 12 different participants. 
Um, we have a, a church partner that's a plant that's in the Redmond area. That's a missional community that's now in process of being adopted into the Soma family. Um, and so really great couple. Uh, I, I look forward to having him come and join us, uh, Tristan and August. They're amazing. And so we had different leaders that want to plant churches in Ireland and some are going down to Kentucky. Lots of different cool stuff that came out of that. Um, now we can keep going. Vegas. Um, a celebration of God's handiwork and how we live together amongst us as family. So the care and support is one of the things that, I, and I've been told this by many that have been with us, the care amongst this family as family. So just to highlight a few, and this, there's more than I'm describing, but just to describe them. Uh, for including Valerie. So all that's been going on in the last few months with Valerie, uh, with this, uh, Cameron and all the different pieces to that, as well as, as uh, Tim and Mo are fostering Rosie. There's a lot of care and support that's coming with that that's been really, really cool to see. We have a, a continued support for uh, gospel partners in Sierra Leone. Judah, myself, Jeff. Is anybody else from? Karen. Oh, Karen is going. Cool. Um, Four of us are going with on a trip to Sierra Leone in March to uh, be part and see that. So that's church planting, discipleship, education, clean water, food, health care. Um, really cool to see that happening. And then, of course, there's always babies being born. So Shiloh, Leo, Easton, Dottie, amazing things. I'm sure there's going to be more. I don't know, but let's, I'm guessing. It's just what God does among us. And there's one more that I don't have on this list. We were doing a, and you see it every uh, morning when we do it. Can you go to that Bless Every Home app, please? That little orange picture with the QR code. This is an app that we, uh, we invite you to actually take out your phone and do this now. We work with other churches in the city to be really intentional in praying for uh, our neighborhood and our friends. And so there's currently, I think, five churches that are participating in this. Um, and in the last eight months, there has been 18,000 homes within this area that have a person committing to pray for them. And in the midst of these five churches, there have been 108,000 prayers prayed amongst the five churches for those 18 homes. And so I just want to invite you to do this again. If you have not signed up, if um, this is going to be a key part and what we're doing across the city and the reason why I'm helping like some other churches get involved in this is uh, we are, and this is God's handiwork among us. Well, we really have deeply embedded in our how we do things as a love for our neighbors, like loving our neighbors as ourselves, living out the mission of Jesus for some other churches. That's that's a foreign concept. They're, they're learning to really um, open their eyes to seeing the everyday mission of Jesus. And prayer is a great way to start. So it's like, before we start caring for our neighbor, let's just start praying for our neighbor. And, if you, and so this helps you adopt some different neighbors and start praying for them. And just start, I, I get a reminder every day at 830. It tells me who to pray for. It gives me a prayer prompt. And then I say I prayed for them and we're all done. So super simple, but it starts to change our heart. And so this, these are just some of the things. This list does not include all the different things that God has done in your heart. I mean, God created, God spoke, and he called it very tov. 
These are just a glimpse of what the tov that God has done among us. And I know there's more. I know there's things in your heart. And recognizing and seeing that God is tov, God is good, is remembering and reflecting on what he has done and continuing to do that. And so what is the tov or what is the good that God has done in your life? How do you remember that? How do you reflect on that? How do you look to that? What is it that's beautiful and good that marks the handiwork of God? Now, God doesn't only do, his tov is not only shown in his handiwork. His goodness is that he provides. So God provides tov. Look at the book of Genesis again. God continually creates a pattern where he creates a need. There's land that needs to be filled. There's skies that need to be filled with stars. Adam, it's not tov for Adam to be alone. He creates relationships for them. Uh, People are all created with need. You and I are a needy people. He creates us to rest. Don't forget this. The first day of humanity's existence was not work. It was rest. We, and rest does not end. And that was to be a perpetual state of being for us. We were to work out of that rest. But we also need water, right? We need food. We need intimacy, love and relationships, connection with other people. What's the description of creation? They, uh, they felt no shame. They, they were completely known and understood. And he shows that there's this dependence in how we were created. But there's also dependence in what he does not give us. He provides for them. He gives them and he calls that tov. But there's certain things that he does not give us. And that is also his goodness to us. Look to Adam and Eve. There's this tree in the garden and they were to depend on God rather than take it for themselves. And what were they to depend on God for? The knowledge of hope and evil. They were to depend on God to determine in their life. And this was what humanity was supposed to do. God was supposed to set the standards for what was good. God was supposed to say, this is good and this is not good. You won't trust me, depend on me, and I'll show you what's good. I'll provide you what's good. And there's things that I'm not going to give you that I'm not going to provide you. And it's good that you don't get them. Trust me for it instead. You want it, but that's not what's for you. And what does Eve do? And what does Adam do? They take their eyes off of God and dependence upon him. And they look to their, they look out for their own good. They see that the, the fruit is what? Tov for food. That wasn't supposed to be for them. They are now determining what is good. They are now saying, 
I don't know. I no longer trust God and depend on God to determine what is good and what is evil. I got this. I'll figure it out. I don't need you anymore. In a way, there's a seed planted of doubt that God wasn't really that good. They needed more than what God provided to be satisfied. And when we fix our eyes on something other than God and we look elsewhere for our satisfaction, we never end up being fully satisfied in the way that we think we're going to be. What does the result or what is the result of Eve and Adam's taking of the fruit? Is it more satisfaction? No, it's death, pain, struggle. They took their eyes off of the one who is Tov and were tempted to see something else in their own eyes as Tov. They lost sight of what God provides, that it's not just good enough, but what God provides is ultimate good. Now, this can be really, really hard for us to believe because you and I are it's very easy for us now that we, like Adam and Eve, have this sinful nature that's rivaling in our hearts. It's hard for us to believe that what God chooses to give us and also what he chooses not to give us is tov. We can lose sight of, of what God has given is the ultimate good in, that he's decided for us as opposed to what we would rather decide if we were in God's position. So when is the time in your life when you compared what God gave you to what God chose to give others? The comparison game. When was the time that you think of your own life and you think of the gifts that God gave you, the stuff, the vocation, the fruit of your life, and you say, ah, I don't like that. I wish I had that instead. What happens when we start to fix our eyes on what other people have been given as opposed to what God has given us? How does that turn out for us usually? There's a lot of, yeah, there's a reason why God has given us those commandments, right? The bookends, we covet, we've placed the God before him. Do you believe that your life is filled with tov? The, st- the status of your life, the, the place that God has birthed you, even family of origin, all that. God in his sovereignty and providence has chosen to give you the lot of life that he's chosen to give you. And I have a hard time with that because my first thought after saying that is, yeah, but he gave them that. Any any kids, any parents have kids that had some sibling rivalry after opening Christmas presents, right? Or even your siblings as adults getting stuff. You're like, they, why do they get that stuff? Why do they make that much more money? Or why do they, why are they in this? Or whatever, fill in the blank. There's this discontent that builds in us. 
And because we've no longer chosen to fix our eyes on Jesus, we think that if we were in his spot, we could do a better job. It's in essence what we're saying. If you, God, I got this. If you gave me this, if you gave me their gifts and their money and their lot in life, you see, like, you chose to give them, and look at how they ruined their lives with all that. If you gave it to me, I would do a better job. No one's ever thought something like that before around here, ever. No, of course not. But that's what we do. We take it in our own hands. God, you don't got this. I'll take care of it. So we take the fruit. We don't let God give the fruit. We take it. We don't, we're not waiting dependently upon him as kids that don't know or should not know what is good and evil and say, okay, dad, what do you want me to do? That? Okay, sure, I'll do that. We say, yeah, but I don't want to do that. I want to do this. We constantly are in a battle to do, in our own heart to say, is what God does tov or is what I want to do tov? Is what he's determined for me good or is what my own plans good? I don't, I don't like how my life's turned out. Okay, but have you been faithful to following Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong here. Are there times in life where we are following Jesus and we, or that we're not following him and we rebel and we make a mess of our own lives? Absolutely. Just because there's problems in our life, it doesn't mean that God sovereignly chose that. It may just mean that we're doofuses and we didn't think wisely. Okay? Like, let's be nuanced here. We don't always do good. So just because... My back is sore. It doesn't mean that God chose my back to be sore. I probably shouldn't try to lift a hot tub with water in it. That wasn't smart. That wasn't God. That was not tove in my mind. I don't get to blame God for that. That's right. And I also now get in his sovereignty. It's now part of the lot of my life. And what does Romans 8 tell us? He works all things according to, what's the word? Good. For those who love him. And what is the good in that situation? The good of life and in that situation is not, I get what I want. And it's not, it works out in the way that I want it to work out. It is not, I get the results that I'm longing to get. The good in Romans 8, 38 and 39 is that God uses it to form you into the image of Jesus. It may be God's tov giving you something and you are now being transformed into the person of Jesus. Thumbs up. It may be you making a doofus hot tub decision and God using that to transform you into the image of Jesus. And the question is, is that good enough? I have a hard time with that answer. 
Because in my heart, I have a lot of other things beyond just being transformed into the person of Jesus that I desire for my life. I have goals I want to hit. I have fruit that I want to see in my life. I have results that I want to work towards. But what if, just what if God's ultimate goal is to be builds you into a person that reflects Jesus to your world and your surroundings in a way that he gets the ultimate glory? What if that's good enough? Because what about Adam and Eve? What was tov of them? They were made in the image of God. And what was their job? To showcase the goodness of God to all of creation and order the world in a way that God would have done. Tov. Not just tov. Very good. Very beautiful. Very right. Are you willing to believe that what God has provided you this year is going to be tov? Whether that means you get what you want or you don't. And yet God's still going to use it for your good. What do you and I need to do to stop the comparison game that so easily entraps us? What was that Hebrews passage? It says the sin which clings so closely and lay aside every weight. What is a sin that so easily clings to our hearts? In relationship to the goodness of God, it's the comparison of what he chooses to do and what he does not choose to do in our lives. How can you fix your eyes on him and not just on what he's doing and done in others? And why does all of this actually make sense? And why? So God does tov. He gives tov or he gives good. And why is that? Because at the end of the day, this is not just about God's activity. Jesus doesn't just actively do good. It's because he himself is the very definition of good. Listen to these Psalms. Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Tov. Good. Beautiful, right, functional, the way it's supposed to be. Desirable, agreeable, pleasant, beneficial. God is tov. God is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 100 uh, verse 5. For the Lord is, you should know it's going, the Lord is good is good, doesn't just act good, doesn't just show up as good sometimes in some ways. The very definition of good is found in the creator God that we find in the scriptures. What is your definition of good? Is your standard of what is right and good in the world made up by your own way, which is taking of the knowledge of good and evil? Or is your definition of good found in the person of Jesus? What he says, how he wants the world to be. Is it good to take your neighbors for granted to covet what they have, to rival 
or is it good to love them? Well, it depends, Justin. You don't, right? That's what we want to say. It depends. The ones on my left I like, the ones on my right, not so much. No. What is, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I don't want to do that. I know, but that's what God has said is good. Blessed are those. Congratulations. Blessed on those who are meek. Blessed are those who mourn. I don't want to mourn. Good Mourning is good? No. Yes, because you get to be comforted. It's this upside-down kingdom that God has decided. And so we have this wrestling as we start this year. Do I get to take what is good in my own hands, or am I going to rely on God to say, oh, no, God himself does good, provides good, and that's because he is good. Where in your heart and my heart do you need to start making that transition to saying what he has done, what he will do, and who he is in and of himself shows me that that is the definition of good. In, when we talk about these four G's as we'll describe them, God is good. And so what does all this mean? I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. What he provides is good. And not just good enough, but it's given to me by the God who's not some evil tyrant, but the God who is a good dad that takes care of his kids. I don't have to be envious of what others have or have been given. I don't have to look elsewhere. I can fix my eyes on him. And that's the invitation for us to begin this year, is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because he is the one that embodied goodness in this world. What he did was the very definition of good. And while we would have never said this, God in his triune nature from eternity past decided that the good way to go about redeeming a fallen world is for God the Son to lay down his his life. And that is good. He voluntarily took on the sin of the world. He voluntarily came as a baby, as we just celebrated with Christmas. He grew up in wisdom and stature. He always did what the Father asked him to do. He always did good. He showed dependence upon God by following the spirits. His life showcased the goodness of God and the goodness that humanity is capable of. But in his death, it was good that he died because he paid for the penalty of your and my sin. And so we now have the opportunity to fix our eyes, to fix our gaze, to look upon the God who is good. And as a result, what does Psalm 34 say? Taste and see. Experience. Not just know cognitively with our brain but to taste and see that the Lord is good and that's what we're going to do for the remainder of our time
So musicians, you're able to please join. I'm going to invite you to the table. This is the showcase of the goodness of God. That who was equal with God, he did not consider it something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, as we'll talk about in Philippians 2. Took on the form of a slave and took on death, even death on the cross. And he did that for the good of you and me so that we would be united again with him. Because ultimate good is being united with God again and growing in that. And so as you taste the bread and you taste the juice or the wine, the, bu- the bread symbolizing his body broken on the cross, the juice or wine symbolizing his blood shed And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You and I need our sin to be forgiven so that we can actually experience the goodness of God. We experience, we receive the goodness on the cross. And now for the rest of our lives, we get to experience walking united with him wherever we are. Live, work, learn and play abiding in him. And so that may be for you receiving that forgiveness the fir- saying, I, I need to be forgiven of my sin for the first time. I need to receive this life of goodness and be transformed from the, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. Praise God. This is an invitation to, pre- to say yes to that. And it's also an invitation to say, yeah, I, I want to taste and see the goodness of God. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I need to be reminded again of not only what he's done for me, but now by the spirit, what he is doing in me. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to sing, um, play some music and reflect. Um, I invite you to the table. You please take a, a piece of the bread. There is some gluten-free crackers. If you'd like dip it into either the juice or the wine. Uh, and then when you are ready to take it, get with a few people and just pray. Just, uh, and I just open prayer, an opportunity to just pray aloud what is going on in your heart. But what I really want you to do is, to, this is an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so my prayer for this time is that God, would you show us your goodness? Your people gathered in your name. By the power of the spirit, not because we've earned it or done anything right, but because God is a good and gracious God who wants to dwell in his people, who wants to reveal himself to a a lost and broken world. It needs to and only will happen through God's people who are empowered by God's spirit. And so the invitation for us is to taste and see.